Hi there, welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan with pureandsimplebible.com. Grateful for another opportunity to have a Bible conversation. Now, this week is an excellent beginning to a mini-series on peace that overcomes anxiety. Brother Roger Gardner joins me. And we've got a couple of full episodes, and so I invite you to take a little bit more time than maybe we normally do in this podcast and listen and join in the study with us as we talk about what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4 about anxiety and being anxious for nothing and what that means to us in a world that desperately needs peace and comfort and the good news of Jesus Christ. So, buckle up. Join us, and let's jump into the conversation, shall we? Will you take a moment and introduce yourself to the audience? Uh, my name is Roger Gardner, and uh, I am a member of the Grapevine Congregation of the Church of Christ. And um, been here in the Dallas area about six years or so, and prior to that was in Missouri. Uh, it's where I'm from. It's where my wife and I are both from. and uh, So we raised our kids there, and then... It was sort of a little bit of a, you might say, career adjustment, whatever, semi-retirement uh, shift uh, ended up here in Dallas. And you have preached this a few times, A couple right? of times, yeah. And then you gave it as well at my home congregation at Valley Parkway uh, at the beginning of this month. And it was really good. So I thought it would be helpful for our listeners who... Um, maybe do struggle with anxiety or have uh, some worry in their life and, and they feel guilty about it. Well, I think, I think too, I should give credit where uh, credit is due. Uh, you know, there are a number of different, uh, probably like you, a lot of different uh, preachers, uh, you might say from all over the, the spectrum. Sure. <laughs> that I, you know, sort of listen to or follow and uh, some really interesting ideas and insights that I think you pick up in that process. And sometimes it just challenges your own thinking on some things. But a lot of this is accumulated from a lot of those, uh, a lot of those sermons that I've heard. But also, frankly, a lot of it is from uh, either what I'm participating in or what I've observed in the business world. Mm of watching how particularly this past year, mm. you know, what's happened in the world, right? what's happened with different people, with their work environment, yeah. um, how they're reacting to a lot of the things that are uh, sort of taking place in the world. Let me rephrase that, how we're reacting, because I'm not immune. <laughs> right. Um, that the the various things that have, been a result of a pretty dramatic change of lifestyle for many of us. Mm -hmm. How that has really challenged yeah. us to uh, to think about you know things like relationships or the things that we you know sort of place our hope in or expectation in the things that we are you know dependent upon even if we maybe don't realize it in yeah. the moment. Yeah. You know we flip the light switch and we expect it to come on. And the moment that the electric company fails or the power's out or something, you go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe I shouldn't have just depended on that to work. 
I like that. And in this past year, especially, I know in different places it's been open and business is usual for maybe longer than others. But man, uh, to be forced to reckon with your relationships at home because you've been forced to be at home in ways that in the past maybe you hadn't. And then if uh, you've been in a business where they've said you're not essential, so that means you stay home. That's got to be a blow to the ego, so to speak, to be told you're not essential. And then to be around folks that you're not used to being around all day long, that's, that's hard. So could you begin with, uh, I, I like the, the example you give of these little old ladies who get pulled over by the cop. And, okay. and that it kind of helps us with humor approach a subject that so maybe this, is not Yeah, this humorous. is the story that I've, I've actually, uh, so speaking of part of this that's lifted from somebody else, because uh, I've heard this joke told, you know, kind of different ways, different, but uh, different highway numbers. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but uh, the story is of this, uh, uh, these four ladies that are in this car, and they're uh, in this case south of Fort Worth, and they're driving along, and they're on I thirty five, and they they get pulled over, mm-hmm. and the officer comes to the car, and the lady is puzzled. She says, "I I don't have any idea why you would have stopped me because <laughs> I wasn't speeding." He said, "No, no, no." You weren't speeding. You were driving too slow. She says, what do you mean? She's, she points to the, the the sign on the side of the road. And she says, look, I, it says 35. And I was, it's, you know, I, I was doing 35. Right. And he says, ma'am, that's that's not the speed limit sign. That is, that's the road sign. Right. You're on I-35. Right. And he kind of looks around in the car. And the other ladies that are with him, right, they're just ghostly white. They're, <laughs> and he says, ma'am, is everything okay? And she says, yeah, everything's fine. We just got off Highway 121. <laughs> And, you know, the point that I was making, of course, in this silly joke is that, uh, you know, we're coming off of a year where people feel like they've been on 121. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're gripping. And uh, I think of it as almost like when you grip on something for a long time, it's it's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're at a at a point where, you know, it's 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 been a tough year. Yeah. And we've been tried. You know, for for many of us, I can't say I've been tried like, you know, people in the past have had to endure various, mm-hmm. you know, really challenge. I've been very I've been very blessed that this has not been so substantial of a lifestyle change that I've had, right. to, you know. But a lot of the things we've sort of taken for granted have come under attack. Sure. Sure. And that causes us to sort of rethink things. Uh-huh. And so. I think a lot of the uh, a lot of the challenges that people throughout the world are facing. I think it's worthwhile noting that the people of God are not immune to that. I like that point because you use the pronoun they, 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 but then suddenly there's a we, and I think with God's people, especially when it does come to anxiety or depression or or issues of the heart, we look on the outside about what they're going through without being introspective of what we are going through. So And so the whole point of this lesson is, though, to I think for people of faith to remind them, we do have resources that we can call on. Yes. And we shouldn't forget that that's a tool in the toolbox that we ought to bring out and use mm-hmm. and actually ought to be the first one we bring out and mm-hmm. use instead of sometimes the last resort. Yes. And um, now you've got some statistics that you use, right, when you when you make that point about 
Um, we yeah. have some resources, but we're we're not immune to what's going on around us in the in the past year. That maybe maybe we could set this foundation yeah, I, where people I, can see what's exactly. going on. Exactly, and and I had noted a couple of uh, uh, statistics, and these are these are very broad statements, but. Uh, the American Institute of Health estimates that 75% of all the visits to primary care physicians are for some kind of stress-related problem. Right. Uh, the American Medical Association finds that stress is a factor of 75% of the illnesses that people... You say that, and you go, well, yeah, that's probably right, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the number one health issue with women in America is, is stress, anxiety. Mm-hmm. Number two for men. And it's behind drug and alcohol abuse. Okay, so where do you draw the line between drug and alcohol abuse and anxiety? Yeah, or, why are they abusing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. What are they trying to avoid? And the interesting thing I noted was the fact that those that data was compiled before COVID. Uh-huh. And I can't find too many people that would argue the point things are better now. <laughs> <laughs> right. So. Right. And then you've got um, this Amazon report. I haven't done a lot of study on this till I go back. And th- this was a <laughs> quote that I heard. And so I took them at their word that it, okay. that it's accurate. Okay. That, um, you know, like on your Kindle, when you highlight something, oh, okay. you know, it. it goes back to like master control. You know, the mothership <laughs> knows what you did. And uh, so apparently the... Uh, and they're keeping track of things people download and read and such off the iPad or whatever, uh, that the Bible is number one. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then they look at what do they highlight in the Bible? Mm-hmm. And you would, I would think, okay, John three sixteen, right. 23rd Psalm, you right. know, all the, all the biggies, right. so to speak. <laughs> uh, but it's actually this one in Philippians in the fourth chapter. Uh-huh. And, uh, Philippians four, four to eight, but it's really a, the passage, you know, goes beyond that, yeah. but uh, that whole area where uh, Paul is hitting it, I think, sort of head on, right, and really saying, you know, rejoice, don't be anxious, mm-hmm. and the context there is important because he's writing it from prison, right, right. Now we're going to read it several times in the study. Uh, do you mind if I read it right now, just to have at it? You know, give people an idea of what it says. Philippians 4, verse 4 through 8. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And so my question for you as I wrap that up, maybe it's a window into my mind as well as others, but when the Bible tells me not to be anxious, I find that I suddenly get anxious because I feel like I'm not obeying the command, and by not obeying the command, I'm failing, and then I get more anxious, and it's like creating this vicious cycle. Is that what I should be feeling when I read this scripture? You are appropriately convicted. No, I I think, uh, so that's an interesting point, uh, because, you know, 
some translations say, don't be anxious about anything. Mm -hmm. Is that really? <laughs> and uh, I think it's worth kind of diving into what's he really saying right. here. Like a lot of things, right, we read, it's like what's you ought to take into context a lot of other, uh -huh. you know, what's really happening here. And um, I think one of the interesting things here, and I think this is especially true for for people of faith, is an acknowledgement by the Lord that anxiety is real. Mm -hmm. This is not makeup, phony, you know, the capacity to be anxious does not mean you're unfaithful. Mm -hmm. um, That's a big one. And I, and I, and I, you know, there's probably been many times where people have laid sort of a guilt trip on folks. Yes. By reading this and not giving context or, you know, kind of thinking about the whole thing to suggest if you're anxious, you know. Uh, I, I probably was in that boat at one time, to be honest. If I were to confess, I would be the, the one who says, look right here, it says, don't be anxious, but pray. So walk it off would be my, you know, spiritual advice Cowboy to someone. Up. Right, right. <laughs> just, you need to get over this. Yeah. But getting over a mental health problem, and I, I know it, specifically in this, we're talking more about spiritual anxiety and not maybe the right the chemical imbalances and physiological issues associated with anxiety that people might need professional help for. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute, but we're talking about spiritual anxiety, but I like that you're starting with the idea that let's just acknowledge that it's a real thing. And um, with that acknowledgement, could you take some time maybe to help us understand how anxiety works for our benefit? Well, one of the things I think Scripture is telling us is that if you're anxious on occasion, you're human. Mm. <laughs> so give yourself a break, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, but there's also times, I, you know, I'm a terrible procrastinator, okay? Mm -hmm. There are some times I need to be anxious because I have put off doing something I need to do, and now the time is up, it's showtime, and I'm not ready. Right. Uh, or there's the times when there is an emergency that happens, and we need to act, you mm -hmm. know? We need, to ha we need to have something in us go, get off the couch and go get that done, or yeah. fix the problem, or save the kid, or yeah. whatever it is. And so God built this system <laughs> where the warning lights go off. All right. And they're purposeful and helpful. I think the, it, it, I'm going to show my true ignorance here, but I think the amygdala is the part of the brain that is the, the fight. Fight or flight. Flight or freeze yeah. response. And, and that's highly motivated. Like anxiety is the trigger of that many times, but that's meant to save you, either to get you out of that situation or for you to confront directly what's causing the anxiety. So again, just to prove the point you're making, no, and this, it, this it's a goes motivating off the, tool. This goes off the path a little bit, but you know, there's a management insight with people that when you are oftentimes giving, you know, quote, constructive criticism, mm. <laughs> Oftentimes it's not very constructive <laughs> uh, because it triggers the very thing you're talking about. So instead of someone hearing helpful advice or insight or guidance or even encouragement, their defenses are up and they don't hear anything. Right. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times the worst thing you can do is come at somebody 
rather to help them give them some freedom to actually hear you. Yeah. So you don't trigger that anxiety sort of fight or flight reflex, which again is very helpful, especially in the early days when you might have been being chased by, a, you know, a wild animal. <laughs> right. <laughs> have you read, uh, this sounds like something that's very uh, right up your alley with, with what you do for a living. Have you read that book, Crucial Conversations? I've heard, heard of, of it, it, and it's on my list. I right. haven't gotten to it. It's written, I think, by four men who are uh, business coaches or something like that. But yeah, that, and it's it's this idea of if I'm going to have a conversation that is high uh, risk or it's the relationships on the line or there's a lot that's at stake, they go through that whole fight or flight thing, how to overcome it, because the anxiety is going to trigger the fight or flight, but then you're neocortex or whatever that part of the brain that you use for rational thought has to it has to win the day so anyway that's a well and and this is again we're kind of going off the radar here a little bit but uh i think when you look at the interactions that jesus had with people Mm. something magical about the way he would engage with them he did not trigger that right it went the opposite way. It went the opposite way. They felt totally at peace, and there was a vulnerability which immediately came to the surface. So, as a result, he was actually able to get to the root of the issue mm-hmm. because they self-revealed it, because he gave them the space to do that. Yeah. And I think it's a cue or a lesson that we can take as well as you know, people who are to bring light into darkness. Um, there are probably different ways to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think we can we can look to his example of giving people um, that sort of peaceful environment to be able to do that and know that they're going to get help and not conviction. So I would contend that Jesus displayed this sort of appropriate anxiety appropriate anxiety um the night that uh he was in the garden oh yeah and you know i mean it's very clear that he was in a stressful painful situation and you know i i I don't know how you could argue that he wasn't anxious in Mm -hmm. that moment Mm -hmm. knowing what he was facing right and so i think that tells us that as the son of God, who was equally son of man, <laughs> could have a moment like that. Mm-hmm. Then it's not weird and it's not sinful. And it's for us to have this moment of anxiety, which, by the way, should bring us to the same place that he went, which was to the father. Aha. Uh-huh. Right. And we'll get that. We're going to get there to the the four strategies you have from Philippians four in just a bit, but let's let's continue this exploration for a moment. So we we are going to be mainly focusing on the spiritual dimension of anxiety. But you you speak at this point in your your study about how there's several different facets, and it's right. it's worth pausing and, and mentioning those, especially to people who may have such an issue but then they hear this and they're feeling guilty that maybe they're broken yeah and let me as a disclaimer um 
you know, there's a lot of this stuff that, I mean, I'll sound like a, you know, the last thing I want to sound like is a know-it-all. Um, <laughs> there are some things about this, though, that I've become more and more kind of engaged with uh-huh. that I have a certain level of, you know, passion about. And it's not in a like a condemning or judgmental way at sure. all, I don't think. As a matter of fact, to the contrary, you know, I don't have any psychology training. I don't that. So the last thing that I think when we're discussing a topic like this, that the last thing you want to do is like pour on a bunch of guilt on someone who is dealing with anxiety that perhaps comes from a different place, Mm -hmm. chemical imbalance, Mm -hmm. you know, some, um, some traumatic event in their life. Yeah. And those issues need to be dealt with either with doctors or competent counselors or others who really are gifts of God that we can utilize to get to a place that's more healthy. Mm-hmm. And that's not really the, the, those areas of anxiety are not the focus of this thought process. It's really more around what I believe Paul is saying is that people are, who are followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm have available to them spiritual resources to call on, you know, basically to to keep them in the road, to yeah. keep them out of the ditch. Yeah. Um, and perhaps there are situations where that, along with counseling, along mm-hmm. with the oversight of a doctor or whatever, are all necessary mm-hmm. to really help someone be able to address life in a way that is healthy. I have a uh, someone that I know that a member of the church who went to therapy for a time. And one of the things that it sounds so simple, but he says one of the things that the therapist taught me that that nobody in the church did. And he was very careful to make sure that he didn't say that the Bible or that God, but it was members of the church. You know, he'd been told, well, you just need to pray, pray through this or walk it off, like we said earlier. Um, but he said, it, it sounds so silly, but they just gave me breathing strategies. So whenever I'm in the moment and my heart's starting to pound, how I needed to talk to myself and breathe, take 10 seconds. He said, just knowing that trick or tool, maybe not a trick, knowing that that strategy made a big difference so that I could pray through my struggles. And I like to tell people that therapy, you know, uh, whether it be for a traumatic event or a couple's therapy or family therapy. You know, with physical therapy, I I have to I had to relearn how to walk last year and going to the physical therapist was very humbling because I'd walked for 35 years and then suddenly he's asking me to wiggle my toes and I can't. And so I had to relearn basic skills. And that's what I like about therapy of the mind is that your mind might need to relearn how to walk so to speak. And so just for this little section, even though this isn't the the majority of your study, I want to validate those people that that therapy can be helpful. And it, like you said, it's part of God's graces that we have therapists and psychologists who can do things that maybe those of us who are untrained don't know how to help with. I think it's like any other gift that we're given, then then the responsibility falls on us to be a good steward of that gift. Mm -hmm. I like it. Now, you talk about the spiritual dimension of anxiety. So that's kind of the thrust of the study. What do you mean by that? 
uh, probably relates back to, you know, Jesus spent some time on this in the Sermon on the Mount when he talked about the things that kind of wrap us up. Mm. <laughs> and um, it's the kind of anxiety that Jesus talked about when he said, you know, why do you, why do you worry so much mm-hmm. about what you're going to wear, <laughs> what you're going to eat, what you're going to, you know, drink? Uh, the kind of anxiety that reveals that we have sort of a lust for control. Aha. Uh-huh. And that we get pretty frustrated when the world doesn't operate the way we think it should. You're preaching right at me right now. <laughs> um, and the problem with that is it removes um, it removes God from the equation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably the main point of this, which is for for people of faith, don't forget the main tool that you have in the toolbox. Right. And, you know, to some degree, when, when anxiety gets out of control, that when it is, when you've removed God from the equation, then it really tells us we're leaning on the wrong post. Mm-hmm. If we're looking back at, at uh, Philippians 4, by the way, um, in your notes you kind of revisit it, and this time you, you try to help the audience understand that there's more at play here than just don't be anxious. So can you take a, a yeah. minute to maybe so break down that phrase? I'm not a Greek phrase? scholar. Okay, so probably the, one of the last people on the planet that ought to be saying, you know, <laughs> describing some, you know, what this means in the Greek. So as my understanding, though, it's a present indicative. So a verb for continuing action. So maybe what he's literally saying is don't live in a state of perpetual anxiety. Okay. And not saying you're not going to have moments of, that, that it's wrong to have a moment of anxiety or an anxious moment or whatever. Paul's saying just don't get locked up in this prison of being anxious all the time because you've removed your faith in God from the equation. Let me try to make a connection here to another emotion. Uh, When the Bible says in Ephesians 4, be angry and sin not, I think when I I read that sometimes I, I see I'm supposed to perpetually be in a state of peace and anger will never be a part of my life. But then I read that scripture and I think, okay, well, there are times when I'm going to be angry, but I have to not sin. It seems like I may have moments of anger, but I'm not going to live in a state of anger. Is that kind of similar to what this is teaching? That we're going to have moments of anxiety, but we're not going to let that rule our life. Yeah, I I think that is. Um, That anxiety is real, but we don't have to be captive to it. Right. That... Just as Paul was writing this from prison, he was saying, this is not locking me up. Mm. And you don't have to be locked up by it either. Uh, you just said that Paul was in prison. You would think that that would, how could someone in prison write such a freeing letter? You know, it's like this guy who's gone through so much is, is the one who is encouraging us to live without anxiety. But in that scripture, the be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication, you kind of hone in on four strategies that are going to provide rest for the soul. And um, if I can just read those four, I might then ask for you to elaborate on them because that's the, I guess, the takeaway from this is people can take these away. So you have, it's the acronym REST, 
respond, express, study, think. So respond to Jesus and the good news. Express your needs to God. Study what you should and think differently. And uh, so if you want to take it away, I'd love to hear about how we respond to Jesus. And by doing so, it initiates our rest. Yeah, and, and you know, one of the things I was, I, as <laughs> a moment ago when we were talking about Paul, I'm sort of envisioning, you know, this scene. And, you know, a lot of this, I think, is a perspective that comes from having perspective. Okay. And that uh, a lot of those anxious moments are indeed that. They're the moment. They're not. They're not the big picture. They're not eternal in nature. Mm-hmm. To some degree, I think he's saying, don't don't let the the momentary flash of anxiety ruin your perspective of the big picture here, mm-hmm. where you're viewing life through the lens of an eternal God as opposed to the moment. That doesn't diminish the fact that we're we're gonna have moments where we gotta dig in and fix something. But there is a perspective that should give us peace even in the moment when we're working our tail off to fix something. Right. Um, you can go through a whole lot when you have hope, but it's hard to get through anything. Well, that gets into a hope. whole <laughs> different. Yes. And and I think that's at the root of a lot of the angst that we see in our country right mm-hmm. now is, is, there, is a, there is a deficit of hope. Mm-hmm. And when people don't have hope, they make really bad decisions. Yeah. And that are that are detrimental to themselves and to others. And restoring, you know, I think there is an opportunity, an evangelistic opportunity in the moment, which is to be people of hope. Mm-hmm. Because that brings light into darkness. And so I think we have an opportunity to follow these strategies that I think Paul is explaining here that we can really bring a positive message to people about how there is hope for them, even in moments of, you know, not just anxiety, but maybe desperation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, this first one is, is, is respond to Jesus. And it, I think it sets up this notion that um, all of this that Paul is saying, remember, he's writing to the church. Mm-hmm. So he's writing to people already who are who are who are people of faith. So there's almost um, an expectation, or there's an inherent message here, or an assumption. Even I'm writing to people here who have a an understanding and a commitment to faith. Mm-hmm. And so while these I think are valuable, they're they're like valuable things for anybody, it, it really it really pivots off the notion of that there is a fundamental message here of responding to Jesus which enables all these other strategies right. to happen. Right. Right. He's the chief cornerstone and he'll be that way in this conversation as well yeah so in in matthew the 11th chapter jesus says you're tired and have heavy loads if all of you will come to me i'll give you rest Mm. take the job that i give you learn from me because i am gentle and humble in heart 
you'll find rest for your souls, for your lives. The duty I give you is easy. The load I put upon you is not heavy. And uh, so the first and maybe most important in this is respond to the offer that Jesus has made through the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact is we know that the world will give us lots of other places to go to, to get rest. And we'll paint, you know, really nice pictures about how that works. But it just relieves the symptom, you know, the, the surface issue. You'll still have the underlying issue that won't. It'll, it'll constantly trouble you. What, what Bible examples do you use in this part of your study to help reinforce this narrative? So the notion, uh, the, the, the story, rather, of uh, in Luke 10, the dinner party Martha's going to throw for Jesus. And uh, she's in the kitchen, and she is, you know, going 100 miles an hour to get everything ready. And you can just so picture, because we've all witnessed it, yep. you know, some lady who's so dedicated and is, but is just, about to come apart at the seams trying to get everything ready because she's anxious about serving the master and she wants it to be perfect right right and here's mary sitting out there you know seemingly lounging around not doing anything to help talking to jesus (laughs) and i mean let's face it martha's torqued i mean she's she's (laughs) irritated and and jesus's response is martha martha (laughs) chill out yeah you know you're getting you're getting wrapped around the axle here Mm. and there's there's one thing that is important he's and by the way i don't think he's saying hey what you're doing is not important it's another it's another way i think of saying what we said before which is i want to bring some perspective to your life here mary's honed in on the thing that is eternal and by the way, it's the one thing that isn't going to be taken away from her. Mm-hmm. This other stuff that you're wrapped up in is not going to last forever. Yeah. That's my paraphrase, by the way, of the, all <laughs> well, of that. What translation are we reading from? <laughs> <laughs> but, but what he's saying to Martha, he could be saying to any of us, I think. Because we've all had those moments where we think what we're doing is the most important and we can't understand why the rest of the world does not see the importance and the urgency of this. Yeah. And so I think what he said to Martha to like calm her down and to get her to refocus is the same thing that he says to us. I never, I don't know if I've made that connection before that in my urgency to share the gospel with someone, I could be sharing it in a very Martha way instead of slowing it down to share it in a, in a merry way. You know, it's like, I've got this good news. You need to hear it. I'm going to make you hear it, whatever the cost, even sometimes to the detriment of you wanting to talk to me about it again. And suddenly I've not remembered what was the most important thing. I just needed to prove my point or win the argument, you know? That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and I think sometimes we can make it more complicated than it needs to be. Um, Because there's a, you know, there's another thing, I think, while he said she's focused, that that Mary is focused on the important stuff here. Mm -hmm. I think we can equate that to, hey, she's sitting there taking notes, right? Right. It's information. Uh-huh. She, he's given her some serious. 
I don't know. I don't know. Um, she was focused on him. Mm-hmm. And she was, she was focused on a relationship. And I'm not convinced he was saying, you know, she was soaking up a bunch of Bible information. I'm not saying that's, I mean, <laughs> and that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I think what he was saying that is perhaps even paramount to that, she was soaking up the thing which allowed the Bible information to come to life. Yeah. Which is, she was focused on a relationship with the master and she was almost blind or deaf to anything else. Mm-hmm. She was putting everything else in the back seat. Yeah. This was in the front seat. Yeah. Grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. So by her focusing on him, she was getting what you call, you know, the Bible. The scriptures are coming to light through that relationship. I like that. Now, at this point, you you share this example of these fishing boats. And this really, like, this was one of the things that I took away from it the most because I felt like I am the fishing boat. And, uh, again, it kind of went straight into my heart. Can you share it with us and explain so there, what you mean? So there was this story that I, I picked up from a few years ago on the East Coast. In the span of a few weeks, these uh, three huge fishing vessels, commercial fishing operations, sank. Ten people were killed. Uh, the, the ships were, you know, all seaworthy. Uh, the captains were experienced. So it wasn't like there was a one cause. Right. In each one of the cases, the boats were carrying somewhere between 10 to 15 tons mm. of fish over what their maximum capacity was stated to be. Right. And the fact is, These companies, these fishermen, these crews, whatever, were eager for more profit. Yeah. And so they were just piling it on. And it was almost like, until we start to go down, let's put another fish on, you know. (laughs) And and they were trying to survive in an environment that they weren't built to survive in. Right. And it's a little of what I think we're doing. And we're especially, I think, I would say guilty of, we're, we're susceptible, especially I think in this country. Yes. In this culture, sort of frantic pace. Right. Uh, you can call it keeping up with the Joneses. You can call it keeping up with somebody, whatever it is. Or maybe it's just the picture of success that we have in our minds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not, I mean, I'm talking to me. So it, it, it's a frantic sort of pace. And it's contrary to what he says about come to me, those of you who labor and that you're heavy laden, <laughs> carrying too much fish. Mm-hmm. I'll give you rest. Um, when we lived in Cambodia, uh, we had culture shock moving over there because, you know, it's the other side of the world. But when we prepared to move home, I had a preacher... And one of my uncles reached out to me and he said, just so you know, be ready to, when you come back, take some time. You're going to experience culture shock again. And I was kind of like, yeah, right. I mean, I'm an American. This is going to be old home. Yeah, this is current. I'm coming home. And he was so right. 
um, I had a, I had some anger issues to work through when I came back that I didn't have before, and some of it was based on how fast-paced America is. I didn't realize how slow Cambodia was until I came back to America, and I felt like I was drowning because the little five fish that I could keep in my boat, suddenly I was putting on 10 and then 20, and then my boat was sinking real fast. So there's a very real-world tangible example of our culture. We may be blind to that, but if you can step out of it and then step back in, it, it's real. Yeah, I, I had this vision of you like getting on like the Sam Rayburn expressway, you know, <laughs> and you, you, you're on the, the entrance ramp and you're trying to get up to speed with everybody else. And they feel, it feels like they're going 180 uh-huh. miles an hour. Uh-huh. And, you know, there, it, what you said though, is, is there's a study that I didn't, I didn't address in here about immigrants who come to the U S and it's, it's, it's pretty blatant. So we are the, pretty much by any measurement, from a material standpoint, most blessed, most conveniences, most everything, Mm -hmm. more money, more. And you would think we should be like the least anxious of anybody on the planet, (laughs) right? The fact is the U.S. like wins the anxiety Olympic gold medal. And they actually have done studies on people who are who who come to this country, and they become more anxious mm. as they have become more wealthy, mm. and as they have become, you know, and that's by the way, that's not some argument that we all should just be poor, right? <laughs> it's, I think, a wake up call from God saying you're not using the resources that you should. You're relying on the wrong stuff. Yeah to make you happy, to make you peaceful, to make you restful. You're getting wrapped up in this rat race. And as a result of that, it's no wonder your boat's sinking. Mm-hmm. And and by the way, I don't think when, when Jesus is talking about rest, I don't think he's talking lazy. Right, right. That's a good point. He's talking about a condition of the heart in a peaceful setting. Mm-hmm. So I actually envision what he's saying is you could be working your tail off, mm. but with a restful heart mm-hmm. because your, your investment is somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, your, for example, your self-worth, your identity, your, is not wrapped up in this thing you're feverishly feverishly working on. Your identity is in me, so you have a restful spirit. Yeah. I know we're going to talk about mindset towards the end of this, you know, that mending of the mind, but um, it's so helpful to have that awareness of, you know, this value of self that's outside of you and outside of your things. Now, you uh, you use the creation account to... to further this point that Jesus is making about rest. And uh, I really like that. I'd not considered the man's first full day. So will you tell me about what's happening there in Genesis 1 and 2? Yeah, so that was a new one to me too. Uh, This is another one that I heard somebody talking about, and it was kind of this aha moment, you know. So 
we all know from the creation story that there was that God worked for six days and rested. Mm-hmm. Presumably, maybe before that, he was coming out of a moment of rest into that six-day construction process. But he identi- he makes it clear that the this day of rest is important mm-hmm. to recenter, to get it back on the tracks again. And so the 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 idea he, so man's created on the sixth day. And so his first full day as a human being is a day of rest. Because I'm pretty sure he's not out there like, you know, weed in the garden when God's resting. Right. So he's, <laughs> you know, um, or whatever he did. <laughs> um, so his his first full day was rest. So he's coming out of a, a moment of a restful spirit into his first full week mm-hmm. as a man. Yeah. And so maybe if nothing else, God is pointing out the importance of this notion of yeah. rest. For a restful soul. You take it back to Philippians 4. Uh, that's kind of the scripture we're, we keep mm-hmm. circling around, right? And uh, it says, again, in Philippians 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice, let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. So um, how does that fit in with this restful soul that we're talking about? You know, maybe a uh, perspective reminder mm-hmm. uh, that the especially the, the last phrase there in that passage, the Lord is near. Um, a restful soul isn't one who doesn't have issues or isn't challenged by things but maybe puts the worst thing that could happen up against who God is. Uh-huh. And there's no promise of a cakewalk or that nothing's going to go wrong. I think Paul's reminding us of the immense power of God to deal with stuff. Yeah. And uh, that we can remain calm and hold on even when it looks like we have no rational reason for doing so. What's interesting in the Bible is that when you study a topic like this, suddenly it becomes alive. And several times Jesus, not just in in, um, Matthew 11 when he talks about rest for the weary, but several times he's promising his disciples this idea of of rest and uh, not being troubled, etc. Can you share some examples with us from your study? Yeah, and in almost every case, he draws a distinction between peace of God and peace of the world. <laughs> that there's a, a big difference. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, I think he even puts it, sets up this tension between what we think peace looks like and what God's peace is. Mm-hmm. You know, we think of peace of the world being like, you know, a beach with right. a hammock or something. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm not talking about temporary peace or moment peace. I'm talking about having a different mindset or heart set that you operate from. Yeah. In John 14, he says, The peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. So let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Mm -hmm. And then later, uh, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you, you may have peace. In the world... 
Again, he's drawing this distinction. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, to some degree, he is saying, say to the world, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> right. I, I answer to a different boss. Yeah. Um, and here's how he began the discourse. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, John 14, 1. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a definite theme that he develops about beginning with faith, starting with that. And uh, essentially when push comes to shove, um, we will confess that we believe in Jesus. Mm -hmm. The next I think challenge for us to face is do we actually believe him? <laughs> ah, right. We've convinced others, but have we convinced ourselves? And th you know, there's an interesting thing. There's a, there's a, uh, throughout this, both Paul operating through the spirit and then referencing these things that Jesus is saying, they have a, uh, clearly an eternal spiritual message and guidepost. But I think one of the things we maybe sometimes discount is the also common sense of Jesus. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that it just makes sense. Yeah. Especially when he paints pictures, when he says, essentially, compare this to this. This will last forever. This won't. So which one <laughs> are you going to choose? Now, we, we end this section with uh, one final example. <laughs> One that, as I read it, when I looked through your notes, I thought, ah, oh, yes, you know, I remember that time. I like it a lot because it's happened to me where <laughs> the check engine light comes on and you don't take it in and the problem seems to get worse. Yeah, it, it, there's this, right, everybody who's at a car has had, you know, one of those crazy lights come on. And usually it's just the one of the, the picture of the engine, which tells you absolutely nothing. Right. <laughs> other than that there's a huge problem here. <laughs> Um, and so you look it up and it's like, take it to the dealer. Right. Oh, okay. Um, I think these moments where we know we have become wrapped around the axle and our anxiety is kind of out of control and we know it is coming from a disconnection with God somewhere. Mm -hmm. That's the dashboard light going off mm -hmm. saying, take it to the maker. Well, we're going to pause it right there, and it is a cliffhanger, but this conversation, when we recorded it, was over two hours long, and I'm trying to craft it in a way where it is in, I guess, uh, usable chunks, right? So sometimes I break them down into two, sometimes into three, depending on the narrative and, and how I feel like it would be easy for the listener to follow along, and so I'm going to have two big episodes, and I really feel like this first one sets up the study for us to consider this acronym of REST, and uh, so we've done that with the letter R. That was the, the very last part of this study, responding to Jesus, right? And then we'll get into the EST acronym next week, but I will ask for you to be patient and come back if you do watch these, or rather listen to them in real time. Come back next week. And uh, we will continue talking about it. Now, let me share maybe one more additional word of encouragement to folks. We talked about this in the podcast. 
Um, but I think it would be easy for some people to listen to a podcast, a, a, a Christian podcast, religious, spiritual, Bible podcast, whatever you want to call it. And when you have a mental disorder or you have anxiety that is um, a part of your life because of trauma, uh, because you have a chemical imbalance in your brain, uh, it's easy for us to spiritualize mental health problems when those mental health problems need mental health answers. I am not in any way wanting to discount the power of prayer. I believe in prayer. I believe in God. I believe that God hears us. But one of the things that Roger talked about was that mental health practitioners, psychiatrists, psychologists, um, therapists, counselors, these are some of, of God's gracious gifts to humanity, that he's given us the ability to have people who've been professionally trained to deal with people that have gone through terrible, traumatic situations that have left them with anxiety, for people who have uh, imbalances in the brain that, that chemically they need to work through that with professionals. So if you have anxiety of that source, and, and you're able to know it, sometimes people may not know it, but if you have that, I really don't want you to leave this conversation feeling guilty as though uh, what we're asking for you to do is pray it away. Find help, please. And if you need help finding help, then reach out. You can email me at pureandsimplebible at gmail.com and maybe I can be the conduit to help you get in touch with a local healthcare professional to help you work through some of these mental health issues. Now, for all of us, we all need Jesus, and we all have this spiritual anxiety from time to time that uh, it was talked about in the study today. And so there will be times when we are anxious, and, and I was so glad that Roger validated that anxiety is real, uh, that the Lord in this scripture uh, is showing us that this is going to be a part of our life and that we're not going to try to hide it under the rug, and it's okay, and it's okay to talk about it. So I hope this is maybe... For those that are hearing about this for the first time, that it's the start of a conversation and definitely not the end of it. And I really want to invite you to come back next week. I think the second part is going to be just as healthy and uh, powerful for you to consider and go through. So please join us next week when the, the next part of the episode comes out. Until then, you can go to the website. There's always a lot of stuff there for you to download and use absolutely free. And always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.